Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, along with engineer-producer Mark Phillips at Airwave Recording Studio in Birmingham, Alabama, and we're excited about the fact that we are three-fourths of the way through our first year here talking about Bama and using podcasts to reach people all over the planet. You know, one of the many great things about this format is the fact that once we post a show, you can listen to it anytime you like. And since this is show number 37, there are 36 other Bama Talk episodes from our first season that give you a good reason to kick back and punch that play button. In just the last month alone, we've had conversations with four stars from the Crimson Tides constellation, including Cassie Riley Bosha. Tide for Troops founder Justin Chrysler, Andrew Zhao, and Carrie Good. So if you've got an itch for some Bama talk, this is a good way to scratch it. And since we don't take calls, we aren't swamped with the psychos some sports talk radio programs actually promote as entertainment. So we like to think of ourselves as sparing our supporters the tortures of listening to a daily lineup of lunatics. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a sports talk radio fan. It's just that after listening to some of the people that call some programs, my guess is that touch-sensitive cell phones must be what makes it possible for them to call in because they have to be using the tip of their nose to dial since you can't use your hands when you're in a straitjacket. You know, another dilemma we don't have to deal with is dividing our time in an effort to give equal time to teams other than Alabama because on this show, equal time means 50% roll and 50% tide. Now, that's not to say we don't mention other teams. It's just that when we do, it's only in the context of the part they play in Bama's bigger picture. We recognize, of course, that we compete with some good teams that have some truly great players, but that just makes the wins mean all that much more. Bama's great players are the ones we like to talk about, though, and before we get to our guest today, who was one of them, by the way, we have to say something about one famous name that hasn't yet taken its rightful place in the college football Hall of Fame, and that's Derek Thomas. Now, we don't know why he's still on the outside looking in, but the people who participate in the process of putting players into this prestigious group need to go back and look at his career and then try to come up with a good explanation for why he's still being excluded. People that saw Derek Thomas play know full well what we're talking about, and if you didn't see him play, you can take it from those of us that did that he was the very definition of a dominant defensive player. He set an NCAA record for sacks with 27 in 1988 and against Penn State alone that year he had nine quarterback hurries three sacks and a safety that same season he was the SEC's defensive player of the year made all-american and won the Butkus award but there's more he had 74 career tackles for losses blocked seven kicks and was named a permanent team captain in 1989 he was a first round pick in the NFL draft for the record during his 11 11-year NFL career, he made All-Pro three times, went to the Pro Bowl nine times, and was later entered into the NFL Hall of Fame. He passed away at the age of 33 in 2000 from complications that developed as a result of an automobile accident that left him paralyzed. But if ever an individual deserved posthumous entry into the College Football Hall of Fame, it's Derek Thomas. He was a great player and a good man. So we don't at all understand why the powers that be continue to deny him this honor. If you'd like to make your opinion known, feel free to post it on our Bama Talk Facebook page. 
Well, we've got an opinion about our guest today, and it's a really good one. He was a star in high school at Cleburne County, and he came to Bama as a freshman in 2003. He played his way into the heart of a whole bunch of Bama fans, and he made plays that made memories so many of us will never forget. He was a fan favorite back then, and he'll be one as long as anybody that saw him play lives. Tyrone Frothrow, man, it is good to have you in the house today. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Man, it's it's just a treat. In fact, uh, it's we've been trying to get it done and get it together for a while, so I'm really glad you could uh, uh, take a ride up from T-Town and be with us. You know, uh, we've also got going to have uh, Nick Bell, a friend of yours and a business associate, is going to come on and talk with us a little later in the show, talk about some of the things you got going, mm-hmm. uh, working together on uh, public appearances, autograph signings, speaking engagements, that kind of thing. But, you know, right off the bat, Tyrone, number four in the house (laughs) i know a lot of people including me want to know how you're doing man how's your leg how how you feeling these days how how you doing physically how's all that going well i'm doing good doing pretty good um i can i can go out and be active and you know pretty much do what i want to do um i mean of course when it's colder if it's rainy i can i can feel it but other than that you know i'm doing good you know i'm just just working every day well, you know what it feels like to be me now, and I wouldn't even mention it. <laughs> Cold and stiff, I'm talking about. Well, that's great. Uh, that's good news to hear. You know, you, you've got an awful lot of people that think a lot of you, and a lot of people uh, pulling for you, and I know there's a lot of folks out there that are just wondering. Uh, the cool thing is I know you're living and working in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. So yes, sir. You, so you're right there in the middle of all of it, yeah, aren't right you? right in the middle of there it. There you go. Okay. You know, it occurred to me uh, just a while ago, that about that, now I've been watching Alabama football since right after they invented uh-huh. football. Uh, so I go back a ways. But about the only other player in Alabama history that had an injury is as famous as yours with Joan Namath. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> now, I mean, you know, I'm guessing you've heard from all kind of people about it over the years. I'm just wondering if you got any interesting stories about, you know, players or people that might have contacted you to try to give you some encouragement. Well, I mean, I've heard from, you know, former players, you know, just fans and, you know, a lot of them were just, you know, really encouraging and just, you know, telling me uh, just to, they they admire how I handled the situation and how I how I still came out on top. Yeah, man, that's great. You know, you were a great high school player at Cleburne County, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Cleburne County Tigers. There you go. Come on. And you were an impact player right off the bat at Alabama. Everybody knows mm-hmm. that. Uh, but, of course, your career was shortened by the injury. But tell us about what you went through from just a physical standpoint from that for, from that point forward. Because I know there were some issues. I think you had some infections, that kind of thing. It took kind of took a while to get it straightened out. Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of one of those things where they, they kept having to go back and and uh, just kind of keep cleaning it out because of infection. But, um, you know, just for the most part, kept having to, kept having to get surges off of it. And it was taking a little bit longer than, than they expected. Yeah, you know, I was there that day. Uh, it's October of 2005 against Florida. October 1st. And Bryant Denny, beautiful day. Uh, and uh, I remember it, remember it very well. And, and, and a silly question maybe, did it hurt when it happened? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things, you know, when your body goes through such trauma like that, your body goes into shock. So a lot of people have asked me that question, you know, did it hurt? But uh, the answer is no, because you know wow. your body goes into shock, and you really don't you don't feel anything. Well, like the mer- that. was there nerve damage? In the- uh, I mean, uh, there there was some nerve damage. You know, they tried to you know re- recover it as much as they could. But, sure. You know, for for the most part, I'm I'm doing well. Well, it was in the northeast corner of the 
of the end zone and mm-hmm. Bryant Denny and I, and I remember looking because I'm my seats are on the other side so I was looking straight across the field mm-hmm. and I remember seeing you you started to get up and you were kind of like on your knees and hands and then then you went back down but but I remember watching it thinking well I can tell he's hurt but you know you weren't like I couldn't you weren't rolling around and waving your arms and all that it was just you know so I thought well golly man I hate he's hurt but I didn't have any idea at the time yeah it was just kind of one of those things where you know, when it happened, I, I guess me trying to get up, I didn't really realize. Yeah. You know, I knew what happened, but I didn't really realize what was going on just for the fact. And that's why you see me try to get up. And then when I finally realized, you know, oh, crap, I just broke my leg. You know, I just kind of rolled back over. And, you know, that's when everybody started coming over. Well, and that and I mean, you, you, you played football five, six days a week. You're used to taking a hit or falling down or crashing into somebody and yeah. popping up, you know. So that was probably just like a reflex, yeah. you know, just to get up. You know, okay, now what's probably the harder part, the psychological part, the mm-hmm. mental anguish, the emotional load that you deal with, I'm assuming that takes a longer time. Yeah, I mean, I, I went through, you know, went through a stage you know, in the beginning where, you know, it was just kind of, you know, you know, question, you know, why me, you know. Yeah. You know, I'm having, you know, the, the best game of my career. I think, and, and, you know, just for it all to, you know, just come crumbling down just like it did. I mean, but then once, you know, once I thought about it, I mean, you really can't, you know, question God's will, you know, if, if it's, if it's not in, you know, his will for you to, you know, for you to continue on. I mean, I I really do feel like things happen for a reason. I really think he has a plan for me. Well, you know, I agree with you 100%. Glad to hear you say it. And I agree with you. We're on the same page and we're in the same book. Oh, yeah, definitely. But you know what, what, what's, what's funny about it is, and again, everybody's situation is different. But in the case of Tyrone Prothrow, you're as well known as just about any player in Alabama history, especially to folks that are, the younger than I am, especially mm-hmm. folks that have, in the last 20, 25 years, I mean, because that was such a high profile thing and you, you had it going on. Yeah. I mean, you was making people look bad out there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but you know, every athlete comes to the point where their playing career as an athlete ends. It just comes at different times for different people. Yeah. Uh, and regardless of whether it's because of injuries or, or just age, you know, it's a big adjustment. I'm sure. What was it like for you just from the, you know, the standpoint of not being able to compete on that level anymore. Well, I mean, just, just not being able to compete on that level, it was really hard just to, to get over. But, I mean, like I said, you know, I, I sat back for a while and, I, you know, I threw myself a pity party, but it just got to the point where, you know, I, I knew I had more things that I could accomplish, you know, in my career and, you know, even if I even if I had have went to the uh, the NFL, I know you know it's not going to last forever. So well, you could have the same injury the first day of fall camp. Definitely, and then you know just kind of you know realized that you know getting my degree was you know probably the best thing that I could do for myself. So it was just kind of after I start after I um, you know stopped throwing myself a pity party, you know just kind of you know stepped up to the plate and just realized that hey you know getting my degree could be one of the greatest accomplishments accomplishments that that i could have amen and it's so good to hear you say that you know those speaking of pity parties we've all got that tendency oh yeah definitely. we've all got that uh, uh that affinity for those kind of things but you know it's what with a pity party it's funny not many people show up for those kind of parties yeah they don't you, you know you're usually kind of there by yourself, <laughs> by yourself there exactly. you go okay you know Tyrone, as a as an alumnus of the university, I'm a tuscaloosa native living in birmingham now and as a fan i know everybody listening 
wants to talk about the same things that fire me up, starting with the first play against Florida <laughs> in that game at Bryant-Denny in 2005. 78-yard bomb from Brody Crowell, went the distance, set the tone for a time capsule-type game. Oh, yeah. Uh, Florida was riding high. We'd had a couple of tough years uh, due to injuries before that mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of cases, but you guys came out, took it to them from the get-go. What in the wide world of sports is it like to catch a 78-yard touchdown pass on the first play of the game against Florida on national TV and absolutely set Bryant Denny on fire. Well, it was actually it was eighty eight yards. Eighty eight. It was eighty eight yards. Excuse me. And then, uh, but actually, that you know, our defense they came out and they came out ready to play. But our defense came out and and stopped them. You know, three and out, and then they they actually punted to us. Okay. And then, of course, me returning the punt, I caught the ball and got hit and fumbled. So Florida got the ball back in our territory. So our defense stepped up to the plate again, stopped them three and out again. Then they punted, fair, fair caught the ball, and then we worked on the play all week of you know of you know going deep on them in the first play. But the first initial you know guy we were supposed to go to was Keith, Keith Brown coming on the end cut because that, their safety had been playing so far back deep that we didn't think we was gonna be able to get the deep ball. Well, it just so happened that he you know he bit on the you know the end cut and. Left me one on one with the cornerback. Oh, when yeah, by the time the ball came down, you 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 and a guy trying to cover you, <laughs> and he looked like me out there trying to run with you, stumbling and fumbling and bumbling. But uh, and I'm sure he's a great athlete, but he didn't look good on that play. Yeah, that, I don't think that was his best. No, that wasn't his that wasn't his Kodak moment we're talking about there. But but you guys were twenty yards behind everybody. It, it was like you. It was the two of you. Everybody yeah. else on the field was way over there, and there you were. And when you caught that ball, and you and Put the afterburner on. It wasn't nothing but grass in front of you. Oh yeah, definitely. When, when especially when I saw the ball in the air and knew I had to step on him, just a matter of catching the ball and, and and going. And then when I caught the ball and saw him dive, I just I knew it was over with then. Oh, you look like he was out to practice early. He's <laughs> all by yourself. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I see. I'd, I'd get excited and just fall down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, and what the cool and, and I, we got to give props to Brody. Oh yeah. You know, I saw him at the. Uh, uh, alumni, uh, the A Day game, mm-hmm. and they did that quarterback challenge. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were there that day or not. I was there. But when he got out there and started slinging that thing around, I was going, "Goodness gracious!" Oh, he still got it now. He still got oh, it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, and he's a, uh, you know, he's bigger than I remember him being too. You know, he's not the skinny little kid we yeah. remember at Westport Christian. Yeah. You know, twelve years ago. I mean, he's. But he and John Park Wilson and Andrew Zal got they out there. Was it. And I'm talking about those making them guys catching passes nervous. Oh, yeah. Was, you could tell. Except don't, for me. Don't I was out there catching. Look out. Said, don't throw it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, and you know, speaking of that game, we've expanded Bryant-Denny Stadium again since then. Mm-hmm. At the time of that game, there were, if I'm not mistaken, 83,000 seats. Okay. And there are 101,000 now. But I, along with a lot, along with a lot of other people, think that was the loudest it's ever been at Bryant Denny. Still to this day, and it's got to be a thrill to know that. I mean, I've definitely I've been in a lot of games, and I've been to a lot of games, even from then to now, and heard heard the stadium loud. But oh, I, yeah. I've never heard it from first quarter to fourth quarter. I've never heard it as loud as it was in you know, that Florida game. Uh, they, there were times in the first quarter where the sound pressure was such. Uh, and what's the name? The defensive end from Tuscaloosa, Chris Harris. Chris Harris. Mm-hmm. You know that Florida. We batted we the ball up the ball, on defense. Intercepted it. it took, uh, intercepted it down there deep in their territory. That play, your play. There were times it was so loud I had to cover my ears because it was painful. 
Yeah. It was like jets landing. Uh, it was vibrating. And I've, I've told many people, and I've been going to games there, you know, since right after the Israelites crossed the river, that it was it was the loudest it's ever been there. Yeah. And that's talking about Tennessee games, mm-hmm. Iron Bowls, all that. And speaking of Iron Bowls, even that 38 to 30, excuse me, 36, 36 to nothing, mm-hmm. and then the 49 to nothing games mm-hmm. that were there, they weren't that loud. Yeah, I think definitely think that was one of the loudest games I've ever heard. Anywhere. Yeah. And, and you know, by about the start of the second quarter, you're sitting there thinking, Florida ain't going to win this game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's when you've got that much going against you. And, okay, now now that first TD catch you had that, that early on, mm-hmm. that's headed toward the north end zone. Mm-hmm. But you had another one. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was going into the south end zone. It was that a post route. That was a. Uh, it was actually a, a double move, and uh, the defensive back. You know, they had been playing pretty, pretty aggressive. And when I hit him with one move, he just kind of gave me a little room to, you know, to get by him. And Brody put the ball on the money again. Yeah, because you wound up right there, almost next to the goal post uh-huh. in the south end zone. And then you mentioned Keith Brown a minute ago. Mm-hmm. You know, hadn't talked about Keith Brown much lately, but I tell you what, Keith could run. He could. He actually he caught a, a slant, uh-huh. and you know he actually told Brody that he couldn't he couldn't see the ball. He just threw his hands up, and the ball hit him in the hands. And you know you would think that the defenders would catch him at an angle, but he kind of put that head down and just keep Brown. He, he's a pretty fast guy. He had that really long stride. Yeah, yeah, he caught that ball and then planed out right up the middle of the field. You know, if they'd just been playing one deep, the safety had been standing right in his way. Yeah, but. And, and he put on the Jets, and he ran off and left those guys. And you know, Florida's, you know, everybody talks about Florida being fast. Oh yeah, but that day they were not the fastest team yeah, we, on the we, field. We had some, we had some speed, and you know, with our receivers that year, we had some really good receivers. And Matt Cadell and DJ Holiday were actually some of the other receivers that were there too. But you're not gonna catch Keith Brown from behind. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Now, of course, with number four in the studio, uh, we can't talk to you and not talk about the catch against Southern Miss. <laughs> You know, my friends would beat me to death if I didn't do that. The catch. I mean, that thing, it was right there uh, before the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. We had been kind of sluggish up to that point that night. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to get up for Southern Miss. Now, Southern Miss usually plays us pretty tough mm-hmm. over the years. I mean, that's a good ball team. Then Brody hauls off and let it go from about midfield right before the end of the half. And the guy from Southern Miss was as close as a coat of paint, but you caught it. And you hung on as you flipped all the way over uh, into the end zone. It was unbelievable. What was it like making that play? And did you have any idea when you were making that play you just made a Daniel Moore painting? No, I mean it was actually um, we came out that game and we started we started out pretty fast and we we went deep on him. Actually, the first play of the game, and I caught a I think it was like a fifty something yard a catch and got tackled. And then uh, we actually second quarter. You know, we we played pretty pretty well, but then we actually we ended up throwing the interception and got them in the game, and they had a little momentum going, yeah. and of course it got us you know had us down, and then of course right going right before the half, you know we just you know thought of, you know hey let's let's just take a chance and you know just hit the one on one guy, and you know he had excellent coverage. It was just a matter of he couldn't have been closer. Yeah, it's just a matter of him just you know being in to me to me it's just a it was like a routine catch you know just kind of putting my hands out catching the ball where I think it was gonna go, but you know what made it so spectacular was him actually being in the way and and I guess my focus wasn't really on him it was just kind of my eyes were on the ball the whole time and just kind of sticking my hand out where I thought the ball was gonna be and it they just 
that happened to wrap around him. So that's what made it, you know, for me, like I said, for me, it was kind of a, a routine catch, but he just kind of made it the way it was. Yeah, there was a human being between you and the ball. <laughs> and I mean close up, you know, uh, number 21. I think his name was Jasper, Jasper Falk. Falk. Mm-hmm. Have you heard from him since then? I haven't heard from him ever. <laughs> he probably don't even want to talk to you. He probably don't. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, having gone to Southern Miss, that's probably the most fame he's going to get. Yeah. You know, and he, I'm sure he's a good ball player because he had to be to keep up with you. Yeah. Of course, the ball kind of hung in the air, so it wasn't really a foot race at that point. Yeah. You know, but if it had been, you'd want it anyway. Oh yeah, I mean, he was there though. He was there. Yeah. He had excellent coverage, but just uh, the will to to get the ball. So yeah, you know, every sports channel in America replayed it for days, and it won an ESPY. Uh, Alabama's had a lot of great players over the years that have made a lot of great plays, but. That's probably the greatest catch in the history of Alabama football. Do you? Re- I mean, is do you ever think about that, man? That's the catch. It, there's a, we have a lot of a lot of good good catches in, in Alabama history, but yeah, I think it's it, it's worthy of, to be up there in, in the top. You know, Don Hudson was a teammate of Coach Bryant's, played in the '30s, and he also set all kind of NFL records. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a receiver for the Green Bay Packers years ago, even before I was born. Yeah. I went up to visit Green Bay a few years ago when we drive up to Lambeau Field and the Packers practice facility is right there close by the stadium. Mm-hmm. And they've got a big indoor practice facility like we do in Tuscaloosa. And on the side of it, there's got letters that are probably eight or ten feet high. It says Don Hudson Practice Facility. Uh-oh. It's named after an Alabama receiver. Yeah, Ozzie Newsome, Julio Jones. Uh, Keith Pugh was a great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of guys through the years, and I'm 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 leaving tons of them out. That catch was the catch, you know. And that that's just that's got to be an amazing thing. And at Bryant Denny, every every pregame, it's oh, on yeah. the screens. It's on the screen. High def on <laughs> in all four corners. You know, uh, you know, you had a kickoff return for a TD against Kentucky in mm-hmm. Lexington uh, during the game there in 2004. I think that would have probably been your sophomore, sophomore year. Sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just two years out of high school, Yeah, you know. Did you ever imagine yourself making those kind of plays as a kid while you were in high school? Well, when I was in high school, of course, my, my junior and senior year, nobody kicked to me because – you know, every time I t- every time they kicked to me, I ran it back, and so my yeah, they weren't stupid. Yeah, you know, my my junior and senior year, they you know nobody kicked to me. My my high school coach always told me he said you know once you know once you get into college, once you get into college, they, everybody's gonna kick to you because you you know you're gonna be same equal talent as them. So actually, once I once I got up there um, and started getting some good returns, people start kicking away from me, and then Kentucky, you know, they had a pretty good pretty good kicker that year, and and he was booming them booming them out of the end zone. He actually kicked it deep. And um, when it's kicked that deep, we're not supposed to bring it out. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I <laughs> but. just I, but I kind of feel like you know every time I every time I get my hands on the ball, I feel like I can make something happen. And, you know that was one of those plays where I, I felt really good about it and you know brought it out deep out of the end zone. And I'm pretty sure my coaches, you know, got his hands on his head like, "What are you doing?" But then like once it, once the play was going, you can kind of tell him tell he's you know seeing that i'm something's happening out of it yeah so, he's going no 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 yes 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 yeah and then it's kind of one of those plays where you know i felt like it 
you know, we had the momentum, felt like it was, you know, it could be a good play. So started out kind of up the middle, then broke it over to the right hand mm-hmm. sideline. And if I'm not mistaken, we was talking to Kerry Good last week that had one going the opposite direction mm-hmm. against Boston College mm-hmm. uh, in 1984. Nobody touched him. If I, re- I can't remember correctly, but I don't think anybody got much of a hand on you on that return either. No, I don't think I got touched on that play. That there at the end, the the kicker there was a kicker and um, another guy that was trying to cut me off at an angle. And uh, actually, Brandon Brooks was back there with me, and oh, you would man. see him run up and run up in front of me. And then there was uh, the guy that was trying to cut me off at an angle. He blocked that guy, and that guy blocked the kicker. So he took out two guys in one time on that on that uh, that kickoff return. Number five. Number five. From uh, right here at, uh, I believe he went to Shades Valley. Shades went, Valley. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Oh yeah, right, Shades yeah. Valley. Remember that? You know, you came in as a freshman. 2003, mm-hmm. uh, the year Mike Shula took over after the Mike Price fiasco, which followed Fran flying the coop. Mm-hmm. Those were unusually unstable days for Alabama, mm-hmm. but you came on anyway. What was your recruiting experience like? Because again, that was that was the that was a very strange period in Alabama history. What was your recruiting experience like, and what led you to make the decision to come to Tuscaloosa? Well, I mean, I've I've always you know, I grew up an Alabama fan and, you know, I've always been an Alabama fan. So for me, it was just kind of, you know, I made made my decision and then just kind of after after everything that went on, you know, it was still kind of I felt like Alabama was, you know, the right place for me. And I felt like that's where my heart wanted to go. And, you know, I wanted to play for the Crimson Tide. Oh, that's music to my ear. <laughs> Y'all liking hearing that out there? OK, I, t- I see your hands in there. Anyway, you know, a lot of people think Coach Shula uh, did a poor job. I'm not one of them, but some people that know him and coached with him that we've talked to Mm -hmm. uh, have said we were lucky to have him under some very difficult circumstances, um, especially with the scholarship situation. Mm -hmm. And again, like in 2004, a horrible rash of injuries. Uh, What was it like for you playing under Coach Shula? I mean, I I, I really enjoyed it. He was a really good coach. He did a – an excellent job for the circumstances that we were in. I feel like he done a, you know, a, a really good job. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I get this a lot where a lot of people tell me, you know, he's, you know, he's, you know, bad for keeping us in the game, keeping the starters in the game. And, you know, he should have taken us out. But, you know, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, regardless, things happen for a reason. And then, you know, it's just kind of, you know that was actually the starters. It was fourth and five, and that was actually the starters' last last offensive play. You know of that game. You know we get it. You know fine if we don't. That was actually that was our last play, and it just so happened to happen on that one play. Well, as far as you know, and as an offensive court, you know somebody with an offensive coordinator's background like Mike had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never had a problem with our offense. I think there were times when off on the offensive line might, you know, again had to deal with injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think it's as strong as it has been under Coach Saban, but it was good, and and uh, the offense did have some effective days, especially like I say that day against Florida, oh, yeah. top top ten team, uh, won ten games that year. And when you had a defense like we had in two thousand five, you didn't oh, have yeah. to score a whole lot of points. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, but from a from a from a schematic standpoint, you know the kind of offense you ran, which was kind of pro mm-hmm. um, in nature, you know, uh, it, and it's not totally dissimilar from what Alabama's doing now. Yeah. Um, how was that for you? I mean, just just playing that offense, and it, you know, kind of some of the some of the you know the plays where you know they were meant to 
you know, scheme for me. And then a, a lot of the plays, you know, just for the attention that I, that I, you know, gave to defenses, they used me as a decoy, and it opened up, you know, it opened up, you know, passing plays for DJ Hall, Keith Brown, or it opened up running lanes for Kenneth Darby that year. And, you know, that was, you know, that was one of his better years, you know, yeah. rushing the ball. And I think it, you know, just having, you know, having those schemes and, and the way they ran them, you know, and how they, you know, like I said, sometimes they use me for, you know, as a decoy. And it, you know, it opened up things for, you know, for, for other people. You know, speaking of 2005 and kind of concentrating on that, because that, that was a, a really good year. Uh, won 10 games that year. Uh, the Tennessee game that year, we'd had a bad run against those people. Yeah. And, and we wind up winning it 6-3 to three, uh, when Roman Harper makes that incredible play on mm-hmm. that huge fullback oh, yeah. at the end of the game. And then Simeon chases the ball through the end zone. <laughs> but we get it back and, and make DJ catches one down the sideline. We go down and kick a – money kicks one. Oh, we yeah. win 6-3. to three. That was right up there in one of the best games I've seen it, Brian. Did it, to be a 6-3 game, you know – that, what do you remember about it? Now, were you able to be there? Well, I mean, I was actually I was still in the hospital at the time, but watching it on TV and you know, of course, it was that ner- had to be ner- nerve wracking, and you know, just seeing them drive down the field and and thinking, you know, this is it for us. You know, you know, we're gonna lose this game, but you just kind of get uh, kind of get that feeling that it's gonna know, so- happen. Something's about to happen, and and I, me sitting in the hospital, I'm just thinking. You know, it's not over. Something, something's about to happen. Something's about to happen. And right about that time, you just see Roman just come out of nowhere and the ball. Like, I really didn't even see the, see the ball until I saw Simeon running out the back of the end zone. Then I saw the ball just go rolling out the back of the end zone. And I can tell you, I had two or three nurses come running in my room because they, <laughs> they felt like something was wrong with me. But I was really, you know, cheering for the game. And then just to see how it, you know, how we drove down the field and, you know, great teams find a way to win. Oh man, it was it was great. I was there. It was beautiful. You know, one of the ironies about your time with the Tide was was that O four team the year before. Uh, you had a good year. You're healthy pretty much the whole season. But Brody went down along with several others, so it was one of the worst years with regard to injuries. Mm-hmm. Like like we we're talking about, uh, we go to the Music City Bowl and one player. Remember, we lost by four points to a decent but not a great Minnesota team. Good team, yeah. but not not great. And I remember on one play at the opposite end of the field, you're standing in the end zone right in front of the goalpost. Wasn't anybody within five yards of you, and our, and our backup quarterback, bless his heart, just threw it over your head. Yeah, I mean it was it was one of those plays where we you know we called it and, and knew that they were going to be playing cover two, and they they actually kind of split. They went with the outside guys and left me wide open in the middle of the field, and you know it just. He missed me the first time, yeah. and then the second time we we called the exact same play the second time, and he actually I was open again, and he just went over my head. Well, and it was just kind of a symbolic of that whole year in a lot of ways. You know, yeah. it was close because that was not a bad football team. It wasn't a hell, when if that team had been healthy, it'd have been way different. They had two uh, two excellent running backs in uh, in Barber and Maroney too that year. Oh yeah, and they both yeah, and had, they both broke a hundred yards and, on us, and they still playing on Sunday. They are. Hey, yeah. listen, I, I got to say one other thing, and we're gonna get your in here in okay. just a second. Uh, I got to say one other thing, one of the great moments that occurred that, that I loved. And as a matter of fact, I was injured. I had an Achilles 
injury and had to have surgery. So I'm sitting up in the handicap section for the Iron Bowl at Bryant-Denny in 2006, and everybody was excited. You got to dress out and bring out the game ball, man. Was that a thrill? Oh, yeah, I definitely, you know, just, just being able to – to suit back up and and to come out, you know, for some reason, I knew I wasn't going to be able to play, but for some reason I was nervous like I was going to play. But I know that week, you know, a lot of people started hearing the buzz that I was going to, that I was going to, you know, dress up. But a lot of people thought I was coming back to play that game. And so I would hear, you know, people ask me, are you going to play? Are you going to play? And I I would just laugh and tell them no. And then, you know, just, just to be able to come out and just hear everybody and Brian Denny just, you know, cheering for me and rooting me on. You know, oh, yeah. It, it just it get, gave me chills, and, and, you know, I really appreciate it. Hey, I know you got your buddy with you, an associate, a guy you've started working with, uh, doing some things. Uh, Mickey Bell's with us. He's mm-hmm. just come in and going to join us. And, man, Mickey, it's good to have you here. Thank you, Steve. We're just thrilled to be here and just honored that you brought Tyrone in. And he's got a story to tell. And uh, we're excited that uh, you're you're sharing his story with the Bama Nation. Well, I tell you what, we're probably going to have to do is have him back again sometime because we're <laughs> not going to be able to get to all of it in one one sitting. So Most is that okay? Most definitely. Yeah. Well, so go back and now I, I, I know Tyrone, like we were talking about, Tyrone is so well known. Mm-hmm. So, he's famous. You know, everybody <laughs> knows number four. Exactly. Everybody knows that story. Even kids know. So I'm sure you get all kind of contacts and. Uh, request and that kind of thing mm-hmm. so how did you guys meet and how did you come to start kind of working together actually i booked tyrone to do an autograph signing at an event that i was producing and uh, just conversing back and forth with him about the event uh once i brought him in uh we just kept texting each other and talking to each other and it just i mean god just opened the door to allow us to work together more in a in a professional standing and uh, so now we're just uh, we're putting our heads together to see what we can do about uh, letting his story be heard to even more people. Your, your show is going to reach a lot of people, but we want Tyrone to be standing in front of individuals yeah. and encouraging them uh, with his story because he's got a great story to tell. Uh, when you're going from the catch to crutches, I mean, people people want to know how you were able to overcome uh, the adversity that he overcame because people are having to deal with that in their daily lives. And so we want to use Tyrone and his story to encourage those individuals that you can keep going. That's great stuff to hear, man. And we'll, we'll do this again before we sign off. Okay. But if folks want to get in touch with you guys to possibly make book you for a speaking engagement mm-hmm. or whatever, how do they get in touch with you? What's the best way to reach you? Tyrone has a brand new website, tyroneprothrow4.com, and that's the number four. Uh, so put that in there, and uh, that'll take you exactly, and it'll give you all the information. If you want Tyrone to come to do an autograph signing, uh, he does some consulting for some teenagers that are getting ready to go into college. Gotcha. Uh, he does consulting, and then the speaking engagements, which is what we're really pushing right now. Uh, but Tyrone's just got a lot of things going on. I mean, we're very excited about the doors that are opening up for him. And uh, you can go to TyroneProthrow4.com and get all the information you want about him. Oh, that's super. Well, what, what, are, what are some of the things you, you've already got booked right now? What, uh, get, give me an example of a couple of things you may be doing in the near future. You are the groundbreaker. No one knows that we're doing any of this until today. Hallelujah. So it's being unveiled right here on Bama Talks. Folks, so, are, folks, are you listening to that's this? That's it. <laughs> so we, we've waited until now to really start sharing the news with people. 
uh, he, he's got autograph signings booked that he's going to be around the state. Yeah. Uh, but we're working on the dates now. So if people want to uh, be involved with that, if they want Tyrone to come and be a part of their events, they're hearing it for the first time right now that he is actually uh, stepping out. And this is new for Tyrone. Oh, yeah. Speaking engagements, Ty, <laughs> Tyrone, uh, he's a shy person. He knows how to run and catch a football, but he's a shy person. But uh, he's, he's willing to do it, and uh, he's going to do a great job. Uh, and so this, like I said, this is groundbreaking. We're, we're just announcing it today. Well, that's super. We're excited about that. And, and, and it's great to be able to just sit and talk. Uh, another thing, what we do, uh, we have a Bama Talk Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Have a lot of fun with it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think we reached 478,000 people. Global. Oh, wow. It's internet. It's worldwide. Mm-hmm. Talking to Crimson Tide. <laughs> you know, so we'll be posting about the show on our Bama Talk Facebook page. And we'll uh, let people know how to get in touch with you guys on, on that medium, too, if you want to. Um, and we sure have enjoyed having you guys in tonight. And I'm glad we got a chance to talk to both of you. Oh, yeah. Tyrone, what, what, what are you playing now? Are you playing church league softball or you? what you doing? Well, I mean, right now I'm just you know working eight to five. There you go. Just now you eight to five. Oh, okay, so you you've got a full time job in I Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, guys, it's about time to uh, play clocks running down, so we're gonna get out of here. But thank you so thank much you, for Steve. coming Thanks up. For it's me. just been a uh, been a lot of fun, and we really do appreciate it. And we're gonna have you back again sometime. Yeah, okay, definitely. very good. Roll tide. Roll tide. Hey, we want to mention another guy that we had a great time talking to as a guest on the show a while back because he just signed a deal with Atlanta. Jeremy Shelley will be joining the Falcons and reuniting with former Tide teammates Mike Johnson and Julio Jones. So congratulations to Jeremy. And his buddy, Bama long snapper Carson Tinker, is going to get a shot with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jeremy and Carson came by a while back and hung with us. So check out Bama Talk Show number 25 if you'd like to hear what they had to say about their time with the tied. Bama's baseball team won their last home game of the season on a walk-off double by Austin Smith to come from behind and beat Missouri 7-6. We caught Chris Stewart's play-by-play on radio and we gotta recommend you tune in sometime because he does a great job and makes listening a lot of fun. The NCAA selection show Sunday night confirmed that the Alabama softball team, which was seeded 10th in the tournament, will host a regional at the Rhodes House starting Friday night, May 17th at 6 p.m. Teams headed to Tuscaloosa for the weekend series include Western Kentucky, Jacksonville State, and South Carolina Upstate. And no, we've never heard of them either, but we'll be there Friday night for sure. You know, women's college softball has traditionally been dominated by teams from the left coast, but the ladies from east of the Mississippi are dominating the diamond these days. The SEC set a record with 11 teams seeded in the tournament, and seven are hosting regionals, whereas the Pac-12 put only three in the race to OKC. And speaking of the ladies, this last Sunday was Mother's Day, so we want to take time to mention Teresa Croyle, who along with her husband John not only raised her own children, and very successfully we might add, but she's also helped make a home for over 1,900 kids at Big Oak Ranch over the last 39 years. Teresa and John have devoted their lives to this calling, so we hope you'll consider helping them by making a contribution. If you'd like to know more more about Big Oak Ranch and how you might help, you can reach them online at www.bigoak.org. Their street address is Post Office Box 507, Springville, Alabama, 
205-458-35146. And the phone number there is area code 205-467-6206. Hey, if you have friends who are Bama fans that might like to hear the show, let them know they can find us in the podcast section of iTunes or on Stitcher, which is standard equipment on a lot of new cars now. And we're on the menu at bigbrainsmedia.com. So far, the downloads and subscriptions are free. And again, one of the great things about the podcast format is that you can listen to any Bama Talk episode anytime you like, as much as you like, at no charge. There's also a free podcast app available for your smartphone or your tablet, so you can listen to the show on the go. Or like, you know, when you're watching YouTube videos of Tyrone Prothro's TD catches in the 2005 Florida game, or while you're watching that famous catch he made against Southern Mississippi, or while you're watching the combined all-time football highlights of Southern Miss, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State, which would actually only last about as long as it takes to watch a hummingbird bat its wings one time. And speaking of time, we're about out of it, so we're going to toss the ball back to the ref and head for the locker room, but before we shut it down, we want to send another shout-out to Tyrone and Nikki for taking time to drop by and hang a while today. So for Mark Phillips, James Spann, and everybody behind Bama Talk at Big Brains Media, we sure hope you enjoyed it because we had a ball, y'all. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide.